0: Welcome to the new episode of Firewall. I am not your host, Bradley Tusk. He is away for a little bit longer um, on business. And my name is Hugo Lindgren. I'm a frequent uh, collaborator with Bradley on this podcast. And today we have a guest that I think Bradley is going to be pretty bummed to miss out on um, because she runs, her name is Catherine Dockery, and she runs a fund called Vice Ventures, not to be confused with Vice Media. Um, and uh, she uh, specializes in, I love this term, good companies operating in so-called bad industries. Catherine, thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this.
0: Um, so Bradley is an investor in your fund. Is that correct?
1: I'm very, very lucky to have him as an investor. Definitely.
0: Yeah, I think he would secretly just like to run your fund and do that full time. So it's, it's, a, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a perfect uh, meeting of the minds. Um, So I just saw on Twitter, so I'm just going to ask you this, and then we won't talk about it anymore. Um, But I just heard the news that Jeff Bezos has returned safely from space. I didn't realize he was going to be there only 10 minutes. So my first question (laughs) to you is, how interested are you in traveling to space?
1: I'm not going to lie. I'm at the point of my life right now where all of the decisions I make, I'm trying to make money off of, Um, (laughs) or I'm trying to make money for my investors off of. Um, yeah, so for me, like the, the thought of going to space doesn't excite me right now. But hopefully, by the time that I'm Mr. Bezos's age, um, I will be in space for 20 minutes instead of 10 minutes. So, so you're not
0: ruling it out in the future. You're just uh, it's just not something for right now. It's
1: not making me money. I'm not interested. Um,
0: so I, I I I apologize for doing this a little bit because I know you 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 probably have to explain the origins of the firm a lot um, because people are curious how someone gets into this line of work. But I, I, it is a pretty good story. So I want to I start now. The, the, so the origins of Vice Ventures, it starts with canned rosé. Is that correct?
1: <laughs> that is correct.
0: Okay, please explain that to our listeners who might not have heard this before.
1: Absolutely. So my previous job, I managed uh, the portfolio of private investments for a founder. And while I was there, I saw this company come through called Bev. I thought the branding was spot on. I thought they were really filling a hole in the market. And I thought the founder was great. Um, and the more I spoke to her, the more I realized that so many people couldn't invest in her pre-seed round because they had these vice clauses. Um, So, kind of understanding that, I kind of looked at what the valuation was and what she was talking about. And to me, it was such a no brainer. And it was really difficult for me to understand why she was having trouble raising at the time. So, that was my first angel investment. I actually put the rest of my, uh, um, admittedly, a very small bonus that I made while I was working on Wall Street into that company. um, And that kind of was the proof point that a lot of vice companies are completely ignored. Um, and then as they get bigger and bigger, there's a lot more funding that goes into them because private equity funds, growth funds, they don't have the same vice clause restrictions as some of the early pre-seed funds do. So
0: alcohol is considered a vice. I mean, I guess that's a standard um, a standard vice category. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. What, what are some
0: <laughs> of the other uh, vice categories? I mean, there's obviously like there's the sex industry, so that would be one. What are some of the lesser known or, or things you might not even consider like necessarily that that much of a vice. Uh,
1: so we've looked at a lot of caffeine companies, which a lot of people wouldn't consider to be a vice. Uh, but as everybody, I'm sure on this podcast knows, that caffeine is very addictive. Um, so that's something that we also look at.
0: Are you addicted to caffeine?
1: Oh my god, I was unbelievably addicted to caffeine. Like I would have between like three and four cups a day for years, and then about a year and a half ago, I kind of had this realization while I was traveling a lot. That I was super addicted to coffee, like so much so that when like when I would go to Europe, I would get a complete headache if I did not have coffee by like seven or seven thirty in the morning. It was crazy. Um, Yeah, I stopped, and that was probably. I mean, I've run a marathon without training, which I thought was the hardest thing I've had to do physically. But stop drinking coffee was definitely more difficult. Okay,
0: hold on, hold on. Um, (laughs) We have to talk more about caffeine. But you just so you ran a marathon without training. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know. I was not, I mean, I was like 22.
0: Okay. So you're 22. So that's a little bit better. Um, but you're only, you're not that much older than 22 now. So it's, it's, it's not like this was a million years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't like a super long time ago, but I, it was long enough where I feel like I could consider that age to be, um, not yet an adult. Right. <laughs> so I feel like I've at least matured enough. Okay.
0: So you period. ran without, so this is the New York city marathon, obviously. What other marathon would anybody run? Um, exactly and, and how did you do what was your time
1: it was like over five hours i thought i was going to die i had to call and stick to work about eight days i would say like obviously including weekends after the marathon because i was in so much pain i could not oh my walk.
0: god. so you would not recommend it
1: no oh my god absolutely not
0: <laughs> okay, so
1: definitely uh,
0: you 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 run this company called Vice Ventures, but you do not even allow yourself the vice, the personal vice of caffeine, and and so you make this decision you're going to go off it, and then you just cold turkey. Did you make any plans or preparations or look into ways to make it easier or anything like that?
1: No, I mean honestly, the reason, the main like I guess spark or trigger that stopped me from drinking caffeine every morning. Um, was basically being on the road and having to buy coffee and not wanting to spend three dollars a day on a cup of coffee at minimum right like if I'm drinking more of that then it quickly yeah, really adds is up like to
0: bare minimum at this point.
1: Yeah that's like going to the bodega right and getting a cheap coffee. Um, but anyway, but basically those costs I mean for years like I didn't really make any money off my ventures. I didn't take a salary so for that, every single purchase decision I made, um, was a very serious decision, (laughs) right? So it was
0: was based in part on just, just saving money.
1: Yes, absolutely. For sure. Having limited resources and kind of having to decide like where those resources should go.
0: I want to ask you one other question about the can rosé that occurred to me as you're describing, You, you just said something you said, I really liked the branding or the branding was spot on. I think you said, um, what does that mean? Like, what did you see? What did they actually do? What, what was the thing that caught your attention about their branding?
1: So the first thing I guess that caught the decision is kind of how simple it was. So if you look at the can, it says Bev, right? So you, you know it's an alcoholic beverage. You know it has something to do with beverages, right, obviously. Um, and then at the time when I was evaluating it, I kind of thought, because she has such a angle where it was uh, wine for women who wanted to feel like it was buying something for women, right? And then you kind of look at the opposite of that and you're like, okay, well, what's the alcohol for men? And you just realize that it's never ending, right? Like you have Budweiser, you have Coors. Uh, yeah. So for me, I was like, this is super, super smart. So I was very excited uh, about the branding into it best for sure.
0: And is that still, is that venture still going?
1: It is. Uh, they actually ended up raising uh, their round from Founders Fund. They are going to be in tons of targets nationwide. I guess every target that you can sell wine at, uh, they'll be at. And it's it's been really fun to kind of watch her mature as a founder, but then also watch her grow the business.
0: Now I, I, there's one I mean there's a bunch of uh, interesting aspects of your background that we'll get to, but one of them is you you worked at Walmart. Now um, <laughs> that's a little unusual. You're a New York person, you're a venture person. Walmart is um, you know one of the largest companies in the world. Um, yeah what what was that like and, and what did what did you do there? You, did you live in, in, in Arkansas?
1: That's a great question. Um, I was very lucky that I did not have to live in Arkansas. Not that there's anything wrong with Arkansas, but being from New York and not knowing how to drive, I don't know if it would be a good place for me to live. Um, but that being said, I mean, I never had been to a Walmart before I worked for Walmart. Um, and one thing that really, really shocked me about the experience was that Walmart, I consider to be one of the biggest mission-driven businesses. They're all about directing savings to their customer. Um, so kind of like watching all the buyers, the publicists, like everybody at Walmart being so focused on their consumer, it was an incredible experience. Um, kind of like figuring out how they make those sales.
0: So it made sense to you, like you know they're they're kind of a notoriously sort of brass knuckles company when it comes to dealing with suppliers and 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 uh, and, and all that. But they the reason is so that they can offer the best deals to their their customers. That's a, that's a value that you appreciated.
1: Yeah, I, I thought, I mean, every decision that that company makes is about their consumer. Uh, and to be honest with you, kind of hearing how everybody hated Walmart and XYZ, uh, I was kind of going into it uh, a little apprehensively. And I was pleasantly surprised it's really truly a mission driven business
0: and and so it, you did you worked exactly in what capacity for them
1: I worked on the M a team there for the digitally native brands okay. uh, so we looked at I mean I'm not exaggerating probably between like two and four hundred companies uh, to potentially acquire so that's kind of where I got my very um, I would say like understanding of brands and how brands sell and who they connect with and the importance of having some type of nostalgia associated with your brand. Uh, so that experience, I think definitely really helped me set up uh, for running a venture fund.
0: So that was like kind of like business school almost.
1: Yeah, yeah. Business school that paid right. me
0: right.
1: Right. <laughs> instead of paying ridiculous money. To, yeah, exactly.
0: So you start raising money for this idea. Yeah. Um, and you send a cold email, I assume you sent a lot of cold emails, but one of them was to Mark Andreessen. Do you you have access to that email? Could you read us the first sentence of it um, and what you wrote (laughs) that got Mark Andreessen, who who probably gets as many cold emails as anybody alive? What what do you think got his attention or do you know?
1: I'm going to pull up the email right now because it's actually...
0: Here's the first sentence. I'm going to use it on my next cold email whenever I send that. (laughs)
1: I'm looking for it. But from my understanding, um, the email basically was just like, hey, like you're super busy. You do a lot of things. I'm going to take two seconds of your time. This is, this is what I'm building. This is why I think you should invest. And this is why I think the firm has lasting power uh, just beyond a few months of fundraising. Um,
0: so there was no magic flattery or...
1: No, definitely not.
0: So it was just really straightforward. Like, here's who I am. I'm not going to waste your time.
1: Yes, exactly. It was like, let me know if you're interested. If you're not, no problem. Like, that that was very much for sure.
0: And how quickly did you get a response?
1: So I sent it. I remember this so well. I sent it, um, like, basically right after dinner uh, for my husband eating dinner on the East Coast time. And I didn't think he would respond at all. And he, I mean, anybody in venture, right? Like, Mark Andreessen is the person that you want. On your cap table but he's also the person that you look up to and you hope you are one right. day right um so I, I was just like you know what like i'm gonna send this email like it was one of the first emails i sent for fundraising i'm not gonna lie and <laughs> he responded and i woke up in the middle of the night like around 1:30 a.m and just haphazardly like randomly just woke up and i checked my phone And I saw he responded and he was like, this is, this sounds great. Like super interested. Uh, Can you come visit? And I I lost it. I could not believe it. It was an unbelievable moment for me, for sure. And I definitely didn't sleep for about two days after that.
0: (laughs) I mean, it totally makes sense to me. I mean, the sense that I like when I, when I heard about your, your fund, I was like, it just seems such a natural idea that you were surprised that like, you know, it hadn't been done years ago, you know, which is the best kind of idea that, that, that just feels like, you know, feels like it should exist.
1: Great. Yeah. Honestly, like I came up with the idea and like, I don't consider myself to be an exceptionally intelligent person or or creative (laughs) person. Right. So no, 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 I'm serious. I'm serious. So when I came up with this idea, I was like, there's definitely other funds out there that do this. Like there's no way that this is the only one. And the more I spoke to people and the more I kind of did my own research I realized that there really was no other fund. Like there's funds specific for cannabis. There's one specific for beverage. Uh, There's now psychedelic funds, but there's no fund that kind of looks at this whole category. Right. Uh, And even by just starting the fund, we kind of started our own category, right? Like you now look at a lot of journalists and instead of saying that they write for cannabis or they write for consumer, it'll just say vices.
0: Right, right. It's a lot more interesting. I mean, I always think it's depressing to sort of limit yourself to like just, you know, cannabis or something. It just feels like there's the, the world's too too rich and interesting a place but um so you had this great insight um it it was original in a way that you didn't even really think it was um what did you get wrong in the early part like what 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 was an assumption you made that you had to come off of where it (laughs) was
1: um i can tell you i've done a ton of interviews and you were the very first person to ask me that question uh i mean that's also something that I'm like constantly thinking about, right? And I think one thing that I would have done differently and I would definitely recommend managers do this is that I started the fund completely by myself. No admin support, no analyst, uh, nobody to help with fundraising. I completely was alone for the first about a year and a half of the business uh after working, the first out of the working out of my apartment working out of my honestly like i sat in bed a lot i sat on my couch this was before zoom so there was a lot of phone calls so nobody could see if i was wearing my pajamas or <laughs> um yeah so i mean i i would work from my house all day i'd wake up early for breakfast meetings uh but then i would just take calls and then because i was still fundraising i would also have to take calls at night because i'd have to talk to people on the west coast Right. Right. So there I mean there were times where I would work until like two thirty in the morning, which and the reason why that's significant is because now I guess that we have a team and that the fund is kind of like reach a maturity level. Um, I cut work off basically like at ten o'clock at night. Like if, if I'm still working oh, at 10, wow.
0: ten o'clock. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean like obviously <laughs> there's some days, right, where I'm like done at five thirty six, even like four right. thirty sometimes, but I have a cutoff because I realize that as a manager I make much better decisions uh, when I've had a good night's sleep than when I'm like working really late at night.
0: So maybe having a little more support early on would have been a good idea.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, my team is so strong now. If I had had the insight and the intelligence and the wisdom that I have grown into, um, I definitely would have hired them like right Right. after the first close.
0: (laughs) How big is your team now? Uh,
1: so I have two full-time people. So there's Aaron and Zoe. As uh, always, my chief of staff, Erin's a financial analyst. Uh, and then we have a scout that works with us that actually founded a cannabis brand in California. so she's been incredibly helpful.
0: As you're there in your pajamas working till two thirty in the morning, um, was your confidence always pretty high that this was like gonna gonna work out or did you have these moments of like, I am a complete loser and I'm gonna have to go back and get a job?
1: That's <laughs> really funny. Um, I My, I mean, my ethos on life, everything from working out to dieting to having runs to everything is when I make a goal, I refuse to let it fail. Like I will, I make a goal and I've written it down and I know that I'm doing this. I will do whatever it takes to meet that goal. Um, So for me, I never had, I guess, the wagering fear that it would fail just because I would, I would never let it fail. Like I I would do whatever it would take to make sure that this thing does not fail. Uh, So for me, I think I had the resilience just, I guess also from my upbringing um, of understanding how important it is to meet goals. Um, So kind of with that attitude, I I was never worried. And I was also very much in the camp of putting as many shots on goal as possible to win, right? Um, So doing that, I, I mean, I sent over 500 cold emails I figured out, I did a ton of research on people before I met with them. So I figured out like what they cared about uh, and kind of like worked on connecting with people psychologically for fundraising. Um, so in the beginning, it, yeah, it was totally crazy. But that uh, luckily, I never had, uh, I guess, that self-doubt.
0: 500 cold emails. What percentage were no radio silence?
1: I would say probably around 20-ish percent. Um, but most people actually responded.
0: Wait, 20%? you didn't hear from yes that's that's a pretty so 80 percent like they actually you got a human coming back to you saying thanks thanks or whatever they said
1: absolutely and if people didn't respond to my cold email within about like five to ten days i would say i every single time i would follow up and be like hey like no you're super busy like would love to connect like i've really respected what you've built for xx reasons like and because of that i think you'd be strategic to talk to even if you don't invest um and kind of just acknowledging the fact that the conversation was mostly to help me than other people. I think that type of honesty like gets people willing to talk to you for sure.
0: Now, one of the areas I know you're 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 involved in is psychedelics. Can you explain to me, since you know, I think of psychedelics as you know hard drugs that are against the law, because I <laughs> have a, you know a, a, a you know not a not a super advanced or sophisticated grasp of the of the area. What what's possible to invest in 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 psychedelics and and wh- where's the state of the of the industry?
1: Yeah, so I would say it's actually been remarkable to watch because the way it's unfolded has been pretty similar to the way that medical cannabis first hit the market. Uh, so that being said, right now a lot of the Startups are uh, medicinal, meaning that they have to go through uh, FDA cycles to get approval because they're drugs and it's uh, very much focused on the medicine market. So, we actually at Vice Ventures invested in the first legal microdose business um, called Gwella. So, we we're big believers that psychedelics will probably be bigger for the consumer market than it will be for the medical market, uh, and because of that, we're incredibly excited uh, to continue to see consumer uh, psychedelic businesses start up. And what what
0: makes it what makes microdosing legal? Like, how, what's their magic uh, wand that they um, wave over this um, to to make it something that you could actually buy?
1: <laughs> yeah. So their first product in the U.S. is called Mojo Gummies. And it's a lot of adaptogenic mushrooms that uh, are involved in this formulation. So it's not technically a psilocybin microdose in the U.S. as much as it is adaptogenic mushrooms microdose. But uh, they'll actually, it looks like they'll be launching in multiple countries, which is incredibly exciting. Um, And it's also it's also fascinating to watch a place like Jamaica, where um, psilocybin is legal for recreational use. Yeah, so it's been cool to watch a lot of these companies either that are headquarters in Jamaica or come out of Jamaica or launching in Jamaica. Uh, because that's yeah.
0: Did Jamaica do that in order to become like a little center of this business? Is that was that intentional? Uh,
1: what do you mean, launching in Jamaica was intentional?
0: No, no. I mean, did the Jamaican government say, "Hey, we can attract all this business to here if we if we're the first to to allow it recreationally," or is that just? Something that was always true.
1: Uh, That's a very, very good question. Um, I mean, my theory on decisions is that people usually make choices, especially for business that make them the most money, right? right? So I can't help but think that it was definitely like an economic decision more than it would be a social decision. But that right. being said, I'm not 100% certain, and I could definitely be wrong there.
0: Wait, did you find that email from Mark Andreessen? I stopped I looking because like I. Okay. Uh... You don't have to find. I just, I there's something about that first sentence that feels important to me, but, but, um, okay, but it. I, I want to use up our precious podcast time for you searching your computer. <laughs> um, tell me what um, what your view of the cannabis industry is like. Um, what would get your attention? I, there, I'm i just shocked and amazed just how much activity there is, how many brands there are, how many products there are. I can't make sense of it. How do you make sense of it?
1: That's another great question. So we probably are one of the only funds that is very much a vice brand fund or a cannabis brand fund that hasn't invested in a brand out of California.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And that was very intentional. Uh, just because I thought a lot of the valuations were crazy, I thought the market was super crowded, and I just couldn't help but think that within the lifetime of my first fund, that New York State would legalize cannabis. And even from the very beginning, I kind of pitched LPs and I was like, look, like, I'm not going to invest in California, I'm going to wait for New York, I'm going to wait for New York. Uh, and now that New York is legal, I just think it's going to be one of the biggest markets in the US for sure, because actually in New York City, people smoke more weed than anywhere else in the country.
0: Wow. that's a, that. I mean, it does seem to be the case, but that's, a, that's an actual fact. <laughs>
1: that's an actual fact. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also because it's so densely populated, uh, and it's obviously such a liberal place that it kind of makes sense for me, and I think it's probably the hub of a lot of vice uh, markets. Um, but that being said, I'm wildly excited for cannabis brands in New York.
0: This may be an unfair question, but are, are you personally a very straight-laced person? I mean, are you interested personally in cannabis and things like that, or not so much, or kind of the same as other people, or how would you characterize?
1: I mean, I grew up with my dad being a bartender, right? Right. So for me, alcohol was never bad, cannabis was never bad. My dad raised me and was like, try every drug once except heroin. Um, (laughs) No, like actually though, like he told me that for years. Um, So with that kind of outlook for me, smoking cannabis was never a big deal, right? Like having a glass of wine with dinner, like was not something that I thought was crazy. Um, So for me, yeah, so I am, I'm a huge vice consumer in terms of cannabis um, and I'm I'm definitely, Somebody who likes to enjoy alcohol as well.
0: Now, you your dad was a bartender. You grew up in the West Village until you were a teenager, Um, so that must have been kind of great. But then you were fourteen, and your parents moved to Westchester. Yes. Um, Was that wrenching for you? Do you hate them for it still? Like, um, (laughs) how is that? How did that affect your? relationship with them in your life generally yeah
1: so i've always grown up with my father and my father's always been one of my best friends um so for me if he thought it made sense it made sense i never really questioned it and i kind of knew that i would live in new york my whole life so even i mean this is something that my family still hates me for but when i was applying to college i told everybody i was applying to tons and tons of schools but in reality i only applied to nyu and i applied early decision and nobody knew (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so then I got in, and <laughs> my family was like, well, what about the Dartmouth application? Like, what about the Boston College application? And I was like, oh, well, you know, it's binding, so <laughs> got to go to NYU. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, I always knew that I would be back. I mean, obviously, like, any change as a child is shocking, right? Um, but, I mean, it was fun. Like, my dad and I would actually lay down in the front yard um, in in Westchester, and we would just watch the cloud. we call it cloud hopping. <laughs> because like, in the well, city, there's nowhere else to do it.
0: <laughs> um, what kind of bars did your dad bartend at? Was he like a dive bar bartender? or Like a fancy restaurant bartender? Definitely not both? fancy.
1: Um, he worked at the corner bistro for decades. No, he did not. Yeah. It was actually really funny. Somebody that I was pitching for the fund... Um, they were like, is your dad John Dockery? And I was like, how do you know that? And they're like, he was a bartender for me for 10 years. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, my dad, he's hes super, super cool. Uh, he also worked at the Brood Street Bar. That's a tough job the
0: Corner Beast there, too, because, the I mean, it, that place gets super crowded. And and it's its not a chill bar by any means. Um, that's like a, you know, he, he's working his ass off every night. Yes. There.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my dad is just like, he's so charming. And it's just such a people person. Um, so, I mean, I, he just did super well as a bartender, right? Because he got to know people super well. He knew the customers. Uh, he, this, is, this is back in the day when buybacks were still a thing. And for those of you listening who don't know what a buyback is, it's usually you buy two drinks and you get the third free. Um, so he, I mean, like he, that's definitely also where I learned, I guess, my first business lesson, right? Is that you very much, you eat what you kill. Um, and that's something I can definitely thank my father for learning.
0: And does your dad still work as a bartender?
1: No, 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 no. Um, he, he actually, yeah, I don't know. He stopped drinking, um, right. which which I thought was very, very interesting and definitely an interesting move. Um, no, but he has definitely since moved on from that.
0: Um, and so you returned to New York, as you said, you went to NYU um, and you are now uh, a a Brooklyn person. Um, what is the what is the sort of like um, technology or startup scene in Brooklyn like? Do you feel like you're part of something there? Or are you really on your own island, looking at the world just from your perspective, or is there does it feel like there's a community there?
1: So I would say one thing is that one thing that makes me I guess think a lot before I kind of collaborate with other people, other VCs um, is that we don't really invest in what a lot of other people invest in, right? So usually when I talk to a VC, they're very much like trying to figure out our market and it's less, um, oh, I have this deal I'm going to share with you. It's X, Y, Z, right? So for me also, it makes me a little anxious to um, collaborate with a lot of VCs because the hype is real, right? So people will talk endlessly about how amazing a brand is, how amazing a business is. But then once you see the financials or you see kind of like the actual business plan, it becomes a lot less interesting to me. Um, so because of that, we tend to operate like kind of on our own Island just because we love the idea of like looking at businesses without a bias or looking at a business, knowing what your own personal biases are. Uh, so because of that, there's not very many people, especially in Brooklyn, not especially Brooklyn, but like. Um, there's not a lot of people that, as a fund, we very closely collaborate with. I mean, obviously, Tusk is very different, right, because our goals are very much aligned. Um, and they also look at regulatory uh, companies, obviously, that need help. So that makes sense to me. But like just connecting with a normal consumer fund or a SaaS fund, that doesn't always uh, make a lot of logical sense.
0: Right. Um, NFTs, do they make sense to you?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Um, so I am married to a very traditional finance kind of guy. He works at a hedge fund. He's a trader. Um, so because of that, when we look at crypto, we look at NFTs, a lot of these things. Uh, my husband just can't help but find a lot of the holes in the value proposition. Uh, so because of that, we do not invest in NFTs. We do not own crypto uh, we're very much traditional stock options, bonds, the whole portfolio. Mm-hmm.
0: And one I saw one of your portfolio companies is, uh, recess beverages. Yes. Um, I happen to like those quite a bit. Although my wife gets angry at me for buying them because they are quite expensive. <laughs> um, and, uh, I'm just curious of like how, how much of a, um, a hurdle that is. So, uh, a, recess i'll explain it because i do drink them they have there's sort of these what do they have hemp in them or something they're, yes they have a, full this, spectrum they have a cbd of, right and they're 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 really tasty and they're lightly sort of sweet they're not overwhelming at all the, the the balance of sweetness i think is really great but they are like five bucks a can um and um i was just curious if how big a how big a hurdle that is for, for for that for that company
1: yes so we actually invested in that company uh before there was even a product we invested okay. in 2018 before the farm bill passed meaning that it was definitely i mean some people called it a straight up illegal i called it a gray space
0: um okay. he loves gray spaces that's like his favorite thing
1: i know he's um talking to him i just learned so much he's the absolute best um, but that being said, in the beginning, it was the very first CBD water, uh, and there wasn't anybody else there, so um, they kind of had first mover advantage. And the brand is obviously incredibly strong. If you just think about it, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find an American that grew up in this country that didn't take a recess as a child, right? Um, so I always, knew, I always thought it was a little expensive, but I just thought that the brand was so strong that people would continue to buy it despite it being expensive, um, and they've. They prove that to be true, right? I mean, it's delivered nationwide. They just launched another line called Magnesium, which is uh, called Recess Mood, and that was super smart because that can be sold everywhere that like CBD cannot be sold. Um, So, I mean, talk about putting a lot of shots on goal, right? Like they, that company is phenomenal what they've been able to achieve.
0: I like the shots on goal metaphor you've used that twice now. Are are you an athlete or is that just something you picked up from other people?
1: Uh, It's really funny. Uh, I was an athlete growing up. I was actually supposed to go to college for running, hence my family being even more angry that I decided to go to the most expensive school instead of get a scholarship. Um, Also not a
0: powerhouse, NYU, or known as one in any case. Yeah, exactly.
1: And that's also kind of the appeal to me. I was like, oh, I can go to school without having to do athletics. That sounds absolutely amazing. Um, But, yeah, so, I mean, shots on goal is definitely, like, something that was so visual to me, right? Like, when I think about, like, winning and I think about success, like, what's the first thing that comes up is sports, Right. right? Like, people making a shot on goal and doing, like, the statistical impossible, right? Like, it's statistically so difficult to shoot any goal, like, whether you're in soccer or football or lacrosse or anything, right? Like, you have a ball that has to go into a finite, like, a very limited amount of space in order for you to win right right so like that metaphor was just so clear to me
0: um i was looking at your twitter feed i have uh two little tweets of yours two little tweets two tweets of yours um, (laughs) that um all tweets are little um uh that i want to ask you about you said um i don't know a month ago maybe the last couple weeks know someone building an insect-based pet food please reach out or send them (laughs) my way um uh, did did you find any insect-based pet foods to invest in?
1: <laughs> we actually did have a few people reach out. And I just think that insect pet food is going to be massive uh, just because, yeah, because, I mean, pets, they don't care, right? If you feed them yeah. tuna water or you feed them a steak, they're going to eat both of it, right? Um And you just kind of think of the climate change issue that we have and the environment in general and insects are everywhere and nobody really eats them, right, aside from, like, very specific cultures. But I just can't help but think that's going to be an absolutely huge market.
0: Good. I agree. I think I I admire your instincts on it. Um, I have – okay, another question. You said I'm looking – for an operator in a new company I'm cooking. <laughs> so I was curious about this, because this means that you're incubating companies now too? Is that, a, is that something that you start doing?
1: Um, I can't say publicly, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but I can say that if somebody is listening here who is interested in running a business, you should definitely reach out to me, for sure. Can you say
0: anything about what area the business is in? I
1: mean, of course, VICE, right?
0: Oh, of course. Oh, I see you. Yes. Yes, it's in VICE. Yes. Of course.
1: Yes. What else would I start? I wouldn't even know any other market... Well enough to feel comfortable launching another business.
0: Well, I, I you know, I, I, you know, recess is obviously, uh, I guess, it's vice, but it feels very wellness to me, also. So it's kind of curious that these things kind of intersect. You know, wellness and vice, you, they they feel like opposites in a sense, but 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 they're not.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's also fascinating you bring up wellness trends. That's something my team and I have really spent a lot of time researching. And I mean, we get sent cannabis drinks, CBD drinks, you like, you name it, like psychedelic waters. And it was fascinating to us.
0: You have some great shit in your office, just to like like refreshments, basically.
1: <laughs> no, I, um, I mean, we don't have an office because again, I'm way too cheap to pay for office space. But at my <laughs> apartment, it uh, I mean, I'm looking at it now. We probably have over seventy alcohol bottles. Like, wow. we, yeah, we have a ton. Any that we host people, we send them home with like a huge bag of goodies, just because we have so much. I'm product. definitely
0: coming by. Time oh, anytime. Much- <laughs> What's the um? What's the best thing that you got sent? you were like, wow, this is actually awesome.
1: Uh, Deloche, actually, it's a, a round we just led. The, I have to tell you the truth. I was not interested in the business. I thought the brand was super strong. They sent product, but they sent two boxes of product. So the first box was theirs. The second box was their competitors. And after trying all the competitors and then trying their product, it we immediately as a team were like, we have to leave this around. Like, this this is delicious. This is so strong. The brand is great. We're like, we're in. Um, and it's funny. Like, I've been doing this for a while now, right? And they're the first founders to send the competitors alongside their product.
0: Nice. That is kind of smart. Um, two more questions. You ready? Um, have you ever invested in a media business? And is there a vice angle to media?
1: I don't think I would invest in a traditional media business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just because... Look at statistical probabilities of businesses being acquired, right? Like media isn't known for like unbelievable returns, right? Um, but what I can say is that I think like only that I consider that to be a media business. So I think uh, like cutting edge media that's actually providing. Interesting angles, I think, will do super, super well. I mean, and I'm a huge fan of what they've done at OnlyFans. Um, it's been incredible to watch for sure.
0: What in terms of your own sort of information intake? What what are some unusual sources you use? Are you a big podcast listener? Are you a big Substack sort of subscriber? Is there anything that would characterize kind of where you get your your information?
1: Yeah. So we, um, I'm I'm also like very very anxious about this concept of groupthink right like investing in something just because everybody else is investing in it and all of a sudden you're theranos and you find out that it's completely fraudulent right so to kind of avoid that trap as a team we decide to kind of instead of read someone's blog or whatever we spend a lot of time on the regulatory front right so we all have google alerts for synthetic nicotine for cannabis synthetic cannabis right like Like any, any type of vice Googler you can imagine we have, right. And that also scrapes (laughs) court hearings, right. That scapes interviews, right. That's much more than just blogs. So like having the news actually come to your inbox, instead of just like having to search through random things, I think is such a time saver and it's, it makes your information source way more diverse, right. Than just hearing somebody's opinion on a blog. Um, and I'm also really quickly on the topic. I'm a huge hacker news reader. Okay, uh, and I could say that I've learned so much, so much from just being on Hacker News every day.
0: Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on Hacker News. Um, finally, uh, y- you mentioned um, in a, in one of the podcasts I listened to that you were on previously that you've just met with tons of sex tech uh, uh, founders and and heard a lot of pitches. How would you assess the general creepiness of your average sex, <laughs> sex tech entrepreneur versus other entrepreneurs? Is it the same? Is it actually less? Um, <laughs>
1: Um, So I would say a lot of sex tech founders are women, which is fascinating, right? Um, So obviously talking about sex with people who talk about it as a matter-of-fact scientific thing I think is really good for business and is a really good way to kind of very quickly um, categorize like who's mature enough to run this business, who is well-versed enough enough that they can have this conversation as if they are investing in a SaaS business instead of you're investing in a vibrator, right? Um, so I would say there's definitely like, we've seen a ton of OnlyFan copycats and some of the people running those businesses, I mean, really honestly with you, like they're very fascinating people. (laughs) Um, like just talking about the talent that goes on their website or talking about the connection with the consumer and the talent. Um, it's it's very telling about the way that people respect other humans in general, especially the way that they talk about sex. Um, so it's I mean it's probably the most self-selecting group of people I would say.
0: I, I have to tell you about I don't it just occurred to me as I, as you were as you were talking I, I, I once had a a desk in a co-working space this was a few years ago, and the guy at the desk next to us he worked for a startup that made a a big piece of canvas that came in a like a tube and a, a bunch of paint. And it was um, basically supposed to be used like like as a hotel hotel room kind of novelty thing where you put the canvas down to paint and then you'd have sex with someone on the canvas with the paint and then you'd have a work of art.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, have you heard of this? Did you get pitched this?
1: I did not get pitched this. Uh, but I mean, this is fascinating. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was so broke. i, I have to say i have never forgotten it. I, I just, I think of that all the time. I'm like, I wonder... I wonder where they ever got with that. I remember, he had the <laughs> thing in the office. Not, it, it did not have a, you know, an, a, a finished art thing on it. But he had the tube and the paint and all that. Anyway, um, Catherine, this is really fun talking to you. Um, I, I, as I, as I've mentioned a couple times now, I know Bradley was, was really sorry to miss out on this. Uh, he thinks what you're doing is awesome. Um, it was really fun talking to you, and I wish you the best of luck with, uh, with Vice Ventures, Catherine Dockery. Thank you for uh, coming on Firewall.
1: you for taking the time. This was a blast.